Hey, welcome to the podcast, More Than Bread. I'm Dan, your host for this podcast that unashamedly, unabashedly believes that something amazing can happen when we open our minds, hearts, and souls to the Word of God. When the Spirit of God breathes life into the people of God through the Word of God, and we are on our way to good God stuff. And on this podcast, we are on our way to 200 episodes. Specifically, this is number 196. So do me a favor, as we get started, you can say this is in celebration of 196, or you can just say, do me a favor as we get started. If you're able, if you're driving, you can't do this. You'll just have to imagine. If you're walking or working out, you might be able to find a place to sit and do this, though so people might look at you a bit weird. And again, if you can't or you don't want to do this, then you can just imagine. But I want you to reach down and grip the front of your seat like you're on a roller coaster about ready to do the loop-de-doo and there's no bar across your waist, no harness around your shoulders. Reach down and grab like your life depends upon your grip. Now listen to these facts that Mark Batterson lays out in his book, The Grave Robber. He says, you may feel as if you're sitting still right now, but it's an illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth is spinning around its axis at a speed of 1,000 miles an hour. Every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360, and at the same time, we are hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even... I love this. Even on a day when you feel like you didn't get much done, don't forget that you traveled almost 1.6 million miles through space and you didn't get locked up in any airport. You didn't have to spend the night. You didn't have to miss any flight. I mean, if that isn't miraculous, I don't know what is. And yet, when was the last time you thanked God for keeping us in orbit or keeping us on the planet? I'm guessing you've never prayed. Lord, I wasn't sure we'd make the full rotation today, but you did it again. Thank you. No, we we probably forgot that one. So if you're listening to these episodes as they drop, we are close to Thanksgiving. You're just a day or two away. And if you aren't, that then just realize that Thanksgiving isn't just a holiday. It's a biblical discipline that leads to a really good life. So I, I just want to start today with a Thanksgiving story. But before I do... I just wanted to open our minds to the possibility that we're not so different from the guys in the story. Open your minds to the possibility that that we probably need to grow in gratitude. That many of us never turn our gift receiving into thanksgiving. The, the story is found in Luke chapter 17. Luke is talking about Jesus as he writes, and he says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And and as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, giving him thanks, saying thank you. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. 10 were healed, one returned. And let's be clear, these guys have perhaps the worst disease of their day. Physically, leprosy attacks the body, resulting in sores, 
missing fingers, missing toes, damaged limbs. The, the loss of feeling in the nerves leads to damaged flesh. And the disease can take 30 years to run its course. And in that time span, man, entire limbs can sometimes fall off. It's a horrible disease. Nearly impossible to imagine what it was like in Jesus' day when the medical treatment we take for granted was basically non-existent. Beth Moore, in her book, Jesus, the One and Only, tells about a time when she was near a modern-day leper colony, and something within her had always wanted to minister to those experiencing leprosy, and this was her first chance to do that. She walked by the entrance three times, and and when she looked inside, she saw people inside who were just suffering. She she begged herself for a chance to go inside, but she couldn't. Why? Because the smell overwhelmed her. She she couldn't work up the stomach to go inside the colony. She could not bear the thought of trying to show people the heart of Jesus while at the same time becoming violently ill as she stood in their presence. She could not go inside. Don't miss the difficulty that this disease brought. It wasn't just the physical damage. It wasn't even just the the smell of rotting, decaying flesh. Worse than the physical pain was the emotional pain, the relational pain, as these men were removed from their community, quarantined, worse than COVID. No contact with kids or grandkids, none. No last kiss goodbye from his wife. No handshake from good friends. No more life group. No more shared meals. Isolated from people. Isolated from God. The temple was off limits. Because of this, lepers would often live together, roam together, beg for food together, yell together to warn unsuspecting people to keep their distance. Imagine being one of these guys. What you've lost. What you would give to regain what you lost. So as Jesus walks into the village, these guys see him and they knew his name, which means they knew at least a bit of his fame. And so they call out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They aren't just looking for food. They aren't they're looking for a greater gift. They seek healing and wholeness, restoration. And and Jesus, the master, responds. Jesus, the master of gravity, the master of heaven and earth, master of death and disease, says, go and show yourself to the priest. And, and you see, the local priest was more than just a pastor or worship leader or teacher. He was the gatekeeper of lepers. If a person claimed to be healed of leprosy, it was the priest's responsibility to authenticate the healing. It was the priest's announcement of cleansing that would open the gates of community and and worship. And so Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. They're not healed yet. They look down and their bodies still reek with the devastation of leprosy, mangled limbs, sores bound with rags. At, at that moment, these guys are no better off than before they saw Jesus. And and yet they go. And as they go, as they go, they are cleansed. And the word cleanse means they're free from impurities. The, the sores are gone. The skin is cleaned up. The tiny hairs on the forearm turn from snow white back to brown. Their leprosy is, is gone. But it also says that they were healed. And when one saw that he was healed, he turned around. And that's a different word. Not only cleansed from impurities, but but healed. The word means to, means to, to mend or repair. And I actually think it means that the fingers and the toes were restored, the limbs were replaced, a hand, an arm, a foot was regained, not just cleansed, but mended, repaired. Amazing, amazing miracle. Can you imagine them 
walking away from Jesus, shaking their heads like, I don't know. He told us to go, but man, nothing has changed. If something doesn't happen before we get there, and then something happened, and they're screaming and in disbelief, they're cheering in anticipation. The nightmare is over, and they're racing to see who can get to the priest first, except for one. <laughs> one guy turns back. One healed leper returns to the one who returned his life. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, just this deep, deep humility and, and gratitude, humble gratitude. And, and he told Jesus, thank you. And it leads to the first question, why didn't the other nine return? Or perhaps an even more fruitful discussion, why don't we return? Why is it so easy to love the gift of the giver and overlook the giver of the gift? Why did only one return? I don't know. Perhaps the magnitude of the gift overwhelmed the majesty of the giver. Perhaps they felt they deserved it. I mean, few things will drain the thanks out of our giving like a sense of entitlement. When we think we deserve everything we want, then nothing is a gift. Perhaps because they didn't think they deserved brokenness. They thought they deserved wholeness. Well, I say thank you for something you deserve. I don't, maybe perhaps everything seemed more urgent than the simple act of saying thank you. But, but one came back, one returned to give thanks. He was a foreigner, an immigrant of sorts, a refugee, a Samaritan. If you were a racist Jew, the Samaritans were your problem minority. But for Jesus, he was simply the one who returned. And I guess my challenge to all of us today is simply be the one be the one who always comes back. Be the one who lives by an internal GPS of gratitude. Be the one who humbly believes that God has his hand in every good gift that you've ever received, in every hard path you've ever traveled. Be the one who gazes backwards into the future because gratitude for God's past grace leaves us hopeful for his future grace. It builds our faith. Be the one who is never too busy to write a note or make a call or grab a cup of coffee with someone who has made a difference in your life to not only tell them thank you, but more importantly, to tell them that you've told God thank you for them. Be the one who chooses to open your eyes with childlike wonder to the grace of God at work all around you and in you and through you. Be the one. Thanksgiving is where Paul starts in his letter from prison to his friends at Philippi. Paul is determined to be the one to be the one who goes back with gratitude. So, so let me read the first part of Philippians 1, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi, those who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the, from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. And God knows how much I love you. I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. 
Now, the call to gratitude appears throughout the Bible. In fact, in multiple places, it's a call to be grateful for everything, to give thanks in all circumstances, even the hard ones. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says something similar to the church in Ephesus. We just came through that one in Ephesians 5, 19 through 20 says, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And again, to the church in Colossians, in Colossians 3, we'll come to that down the road. He writes, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But specifically here in Philippians 1, Paul is thanking God for people. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm thankful for you. I see Jesus in you. Jesus is at work in you. Every time Paul remembered these friends, he told God, thank you. He called them my partners in the gospel. So who are the people in your life who have been partners in the gospel? I love Calvary. (laughs) If I was that kind of guy, I'd hug you all. But I'm not, so I'll just give you a verbal hug. (laughs) You are my partners in the gospel. And when I think about you, I tell God, thank you. I I scroll through Facebook and I run across someone who found Jesus at Calvary. And and then I read an email, read an email from a lady who found freedom from an addiction because of the way that people served her and, and God ministered to her at Calvary. Then I'll just shake my head at the way some of you have invested yourselves in the lives of others, your neighbors and and people in our community, community organizations. Some of you have partnered with me to raise my kids. I remember a number of summers ago, I was watching a whole herd of kids get baptized in the pond, and my heart was so glad because my kids still like church. (laughs) And that's because of your partnership in the gospel. And as I think about my kids, I'm reminded of mission trips we've taken as a family, our growing partnership in Myanmar. There are people that I love in Myanmar. I thank God every time I remember them. I've sat in on community nonprofit meetings where the people just couldn't stop saying thank you for the way that Calvary serves the community. And by the way, the meeting was being held in a room where some of you had poured out your tears and your hearts in worship and prayer. I'm telling you, in spite of the imperfect mess that we call Calvary, lost people have found Jesus and lonely people have found a friend and people stricken by poverty have found living proof of a loving God. Marriages have been redeemed. Sinful people have found grace because of our partnership in the gospel. And and not only have you partnered with me to make a difference in other people's lives, you partnered with me to make a difference in my life. Some of you in small ways, some in such major ways, you've encouraged me, prayed for me, given of yourselves to me and my family. And the The number of people who make my partnership list is large and growing. How about you? Who are the people who have made a difference in your life? Who are the people who have partnered with you to make a difference in other people's lives? See, the Thanksgiving holiday reminds us that we often value the gifts of God more than we value the gift of God. With all the things on our list, you know, at the top of our Thanksgiving list is Christ. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. I I thank my God for you because we're partners in the good news of Jesus Christ. Every morning when we wake up and every evening before we go to sleep, we should stop for a moment and say, God, thank you 
for letting us partner together in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel, partners with Christ. See, God's inexpressible gift to us is Jesus Christ. I love the way John Piper puts all this into perspective. He says the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven? If Christ was not there. And he says the gospel screams in compassionate horror. No. The glory of heaven is not found in the lack of tears, but in the presence of the one who wipes our tears away. The glory of heaven isn't that we have a room prepared for us, but that the one who prepared our rooms is present. No tears, no cancer, no war, no orphans, no drugs, no addiction is nothing, no thing without Jesus. And see, this is ultimately why we should be the one. Because when we return to give thanks, we're coming back to Christ. We're running back to Christ. We're the one who returns to Christ, our greatest gift. The nine went home healed, but the one came back to Jesus. Let me read again that part of the story. You read again, excuse me, that part of the story. See, something special happens when we pause to give thanks. When we pause to give thanks, we come back to the presence of the one who has made us grateful. And as we come into his presence, we learn to become more aware of his presence. In the years to come, I believe that the great divide of thriving will not be between liberals and conservatives or evangelicals and progressives. It'll be between those who are aware of his presence and those who simply don't come back in gratitude. Few things will make you more aware of his presence than giving thanks in his presence. And so Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you. I always pray for you. And I make my request with a heart full of joy because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm sure that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. I don't know how many people are on your list, your partnership list, the ones that you need to tell God thank you for, the ones that you maybe need to tell them thank you. It doesn't matter if it's just one or a hundred. Be the one. Be the one who comes back to tell them thank you. Be the one who comes back to Jesus to say thank you. Because every time we are the one who returns, we come back to his presence. Gratitude leads us into the presence of Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you would fill each and every heart with an attitude of gratitude. God, I pray that you would help us to see, even in the hard times. God, I know there's some people listening who are going through cruddy times, hard times. And I pray that even for them, that you would open their eyes to the places where you have been at work. You you would open their eyes to the, the people that have partnered with them in the gospel, the people who have made a difference in their lives, and, and open their eyes to the ways in which you've used them to make a difference in somebody else's life, even in the midst of the hard. God, fill us with a gift of gratitude. Let, let us be the one. God, I pray that each and every person listening, that we would be the ones that, that come back to you to say thanks. Because you've done so much. You, you are so much. You are worthy. Jesus, you are the greatest gift that we've been given. If nothing else good had ever happened to us, 
to receive the gift of Christ is an amazing, amazing, amazing gift. And Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.